In a legislative session dominated by HJR 3, another social and family issue passed unanimously. In an attempt to achieve Governor Pence's goal of being the most adoption-friendly state in the country, adoptive parents in Indiana will now get a $1,000 tax credit when completing an adoption in Indiana. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll look at this new tax credit and what difference it will have on Indiana's adoption process. Joining us is CEO of Village's Adoption Agency, Sharon Pierce, and adoption lawyer, Leanne Steffes. How does Indiana compare to other states in its adoption procedures, and is it possible to become the most adoption-friendly state in the country? We'll answer these questions and more after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Kat Carlton from WFIU. Adoptions are an expensive and time-consuming legal process, but every year hundreds of families in Indiana complete this step to bring in new additions to their family. In an attempt to provide an incentive to families who want to adopt children, the state legislature passed a bill this session granting a $1,000 tax credit to Hoosier families who adopt. Today on Noon Edition, we're going to look at the impact of this new law and how Indiana's adoption policies compare to many other states. We have two guests with us. One is in the studio. Leanne Steffes is here. She's an attorney at MLJ Adoptions in Carmel. And Sharon Pierce is joining us on the phone. She is with she is the CEO of Villages Adoption Agency. If you want to join the conversation, you can phone us um, here locally at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348 if you're outside of the local calling area. Or you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We really hope to have some participation today. We know a lot of people out there uh, who have adopted children and others who are probably thinking about it. And we have a couple of folks who can answer a lot of your questions and maybe uh, alleviate some of your concerns if you just uh, want to give us a call today. And I have to welcome Kat Carlton. Kat? Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks for being here today. Mary Catherine's under the weather. Kat j- is joining us. So wanted to ask uh, both of you, Leanne and Sharon, to, to start out by saying, you know, how, uh, how important this new tax credit is, do you think, to uh, Indiana's attempt and Governor Pence's attempt to make Indiana a very uh, welcoming state in the way of adoption. So, Leanne, why don't you go first? Um, I think it's a really great, great start. And what is exciting to me about the adoption tax credit is actually the act provides for the creation of an adoption um, committee. And it's an interim committee on adoption. And they're going to be studying how other states handle adoption issues, and they'll be making recommendations for improving adoption in the state of Indiana. And it's a committee of nine members um, appointed by the governor, and they all have um, various requirements that they have to meet, criteria that they have to meet to be eligible to be considered on the committee. 
um, and that is they need to have adoption experience. Um, there's um, it's provided for uh, parents who have adopted um, a representative from a licensed child placing agency, representatives from the Department of Child Services, uh, court appointed special advocates, and um, judges who have experience with adoption cases. And I think that the research that this committee is going to do is going to be so valuable to looking at what other states are doing for adoption and how Indiana can improve and reduce barriers to adoption. You know, in some ways it sounds like you know, you've probably heard that little kind of crazy saying about the sizzle and the steak. It's like the $1,000 is kind of the sizzle of this bill. It's what everybody's talking about. But in fact, maybe the, the, the bigger meat of the bill is the committee and what it might do going forward. Yes, definitely. Okay. Sharon, uh, your thoughts about the uh, tax credit? Well, I think uh, both you and Leanne are exactly right, Bob, that um, uh, what I think is especially exciting is it's really um, uh, provided a lot of synergy of conversation around adoption in Indiana that we haven't had for a long time. And I know both Leanne's agency and our organization were involved in the first adoption fair sponsored by a governor in several years. Um, November is National Adoption Month, and um, actually this committee that's been uh, created through um, House Enrolled Act 1222 um, is to have their report to the governor by November 1st, and I thought that was pretty exciting timing, too, that we could use National Adoption Month here in Indiana to really um, look at what are some of the next steps that we need to uh, take. But I think in addition to the tax credit and the committee, um, just the conversation being intensified, um, just as we're having today, um, is really, really critical because Indiana at any given time has 1,200 children who are hungry for a family. And so um, certainly as a child welfare agency, um, I am very, very excited about the opportunity that those children might have. Uh, to be adopted a little bit earlier in life, which um, research tells us is really critical for their well-being. Can we talk a little bit about the the financial aspects of this? I know that, that you know that's one of the things that I, I've been reading that that the uh, sometimes you know the, just the money involved is a barrier for families that want to adopt. Um, Leanne, is that your experience, what you've seen? Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. especially because I'm coming from the background of international adoption primarily, and that can run anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $60,000, um, and that is a lot of money for families who are trying to adopt. Mm-hmm. And so what we can do to reduce that barrier, to reduce the financial impact, um, I think that that's great that... Indiana is taking steps to help these families. Mm-hmm. Sharon? And I totally agree. One of the things that I know um, many of us who are licensed child placing agencies, as, as Leanne mentioned earlier, are really um, having a very um, on, uh, an ongoing dialogue with the governor's office about the importance of reinstating uh, the adoption uh, subsidy for the state of Indiana. We're one of only two states that no longer um, provides that subsidy, and particularly for children who have been abused or neglected, um, they often have some special medical uh, or emotional needs. And as Leanne alluded to, um, I think all of us as parents want to plan for our ability to fully meet the needs of our children. And so, you know, a part of that certainly is that commitment to nurturing and, and how are we going to reorder our time so that we can 
uh, draw a child into the center of our family. But the financial responsibilities are very real, and I think especially as Indiana continues to cover from some of the economic challenges that we've seen nationwide, um, anything that we can do as a state to encourage and support parents who are willing to provide that forever family for um, any child um, will really help strengthen uh, our adoption processes in Indiana. Now, you mentioned the subsidy. Can you sort of explain the difference or what, what is the subsidy and how does that compare to the tax credit? Well, a tax credit is just that, a credit on an individual's taxes, whereas a subsidy, there's both a federal subsidy and then 48 states have a state subsidy. Um, and it's of varying amounts based on a child's need and eligibility to qualify for that. Um, but it provides uh, that ongoing partnership um, in terms of things like, um, for example, Medicaid for children who have been Medicaid eligible uh, or some specific um, uh, uh, care for children with disabilities so that the subsidy kind of opens the door, if you will, um, for eligibility for some specific um, federally and, and state-provided services that, you know, there are lots of research um, reports that document very clearly when we have those in place. More children are adopted, and those adoptions are stronger. There are fewer disruptions because families feel more confident, again, about meeting the unique needs of the child that they've um, taken into their family circle. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that Indiana would only be one of two states that doesn't have that subsidy. So, Sharon, why do you think that is? Well, I think um, that occurred. We we stepped back from that uh, subsidy about six or eight years ago when um, Indiana was facing some challenges. And those of us who work with children who've been abused or neglected and and are likely um, uh, needing an adoptive family because they can't be safely reunified with their family, um, really advocated strongly not to um, look at that as a cost savings because it's one of those um, investments that really provides a great return on investment. So, you know, sometimes you take something away and it's really hard to put it back in place, and I think that's where we are right now. But I also think that Governor Pence and his team are very genuine in their desire to make Indiana as adoption-friendly as possible. And I think especially for our Indiana children um, that we want to make sure um, we're maximizing every opportunity for them to grow and flourish in a family. You're listening to uh, WFIU. Uh, it's Noon Edition, and we're talking about adoption in Indiana and the new tax uh, credit for adoptions that was passed by the legislature this year. If you have any questions or any comments, uh, you want to join the program, please give us a call at 855-0811 or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also join live chat at uh, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can even send us your questions or fo- just follow the discussion on Twitter at Noon Edition. The, um, the, the idea that, that this committee is going to be set up and, and we'll have its report to the governor, I think you said by November 1st, right, Sharon? I think? Right. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to ask both of you, um, you know, what are some of the key issues that you hope that that committee will take a look at? Um, Leanne? Um, certainly, I think that the state adoption subsidy and restoring that should receive attention and a lot of that, a lot of attention, honestly, um, because as Sharon mentioned, we are one of two states that does not have a state adoption subsidy. And studies have shown time and time again that having these state adoption subsidies in place 
increases the number of adoptions and children are not in foster care for as long. Um, another thing I think some states do that maybe the, um, the committee could look into is providing assistance for post-secondary education. A lot of states, um, Texas um, provides post-secondary tuition assistance. Um, Alabama just this year, um, they, like Indiana, um, passed a state adoption tax credit, um, and they also provide for children who've been adopted after the age of 14 up to $15,000 in a scholarship for an in-state, um, an in-state <clears throat> public university. Mm-hmm. Um, just things like that, services that they can offer, incentives, incentives that they can provide, I think the committee will be looking into services like that. Mm-hmm. Let me just just make sure I understand. So in Alabama, so if, if uh, you were to adopt a child that was 14 years old or older, they would add this post-secondary? Uh, Correct. Oh, okay. Correct. And actually, I believe Texas provides um, post-secondary <clears throat> assistance through a doctorate mm-hmm. um, at any in-state tuition or I- any state University. I think that'd be really important because if you you know if you're looking at bringing a you know a teenager into your house and you got to be thinking well geez in five years I'm gonna have to you know this this child ought to be going to college and how am I going to afford that exactly mm-hmm. okay we have a phone call I'm gonna, uh, Sharon I'll get to you on that question in a minute okay, but sure. but uh, we're, we have a phone call so let's go to Herb from Bloomington Herb. Yeah, uh, I'm just sort of wondering how these uh, making Indiana adoption friendly policies. Uh, apply when it comes to uh, same-sex families. Uh, in, in general, at present, what are Indiana's policies when it comes to uh, proposed adoption into a same-sex family? And and ultimately, is this something the committee is going to look at in terms of the availability of these tax credits and other kinds of incentives uh, to those kinds of families? Um, they're good sources to, to for, for adoption. They provide loving care. And I'm just wondering what the state's policy on that is. Where it may go? Sharon, we're going to give you a, the first shot at that. Sure, and actually, um, the state does not prohibit adoption by same-sex families. Um, I know of many, many same-sex families who have provided wonderful, loving uh, family settings for uh, children. Um, it, it's always hard to say before a, a legislative committee is established what they will be uh, reviewing, but right now that is allowed. Um, with that said, there are some uh, licensed child placing agencies who are faith-based and um, who um, don't facilitate same-sex uh, adoptions or the licensing of same-sex families, but there are many others um, throughout the state of Indiana who do. So that is very much an option for children. And, and research, as, as you've mentioned, um, has indicated that um, same-sex families can provide uh, very positive resources for children who are, again, hungry for that forever family setting. Leanne, do you have anything you want to add? I think that Indiana, by and large, is very friendly to same-sex couples who are wanting to adopt. Um, My husband and I actually went through um, training to become adoptive parents through the state, and many of the couples who attended with us were same-sex couples. And I actually know of an instance where um, in Ohio they wouldn't grant birth certificates that listed both of the um, same-sex parents on the children's birth certificates, and Indiana actually had to issue those children's birth certificates even though the children were born in Ohio. So I am sure that um, they will be considered in the um, committee's research. Okay. Herb, anything else? 
No, that's more uh, positive than I expected. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Appreciate the Thank call, you. Herb. Uh, our numbers again are 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So David from David is on Twitter, and he says, after doing his homework and looking around, his adoption will cost around twelve thousand dollars. Does that sound? Um, does he say what type of adoption he's pursuing? No, he doesn't. That's all. That's all the information I have. Because the cost really can vary depending upon the type of adoption. If you're adopting from foster care, I think that generally the costs are quite minimal for that. Um, if it's a domestic adoption of an infant, um, there are usually relatively significant costs associated with that, as well as when you would be adopting internationally, um, as I alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. significant costs with that. So it's really dependent, I think, on the type of adoption. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't sound outside of the realm of possibilities, certainly. Okay. Sharon, I want to get back to the broader question that I had asked earlier about some of the key issues you hope the Adoption Committee will take a look at. Sure. You know, I think another area um, to build on what Leanne was sharing um, uh, are the accessibility of post-adoption services. And Indiana has really uh, developed a pretty exciting initiative. Um, Folks can call 1-888-25-ADOPT if they're um, an adoptive family. And again, um, those post-adoption services are available to any adoptive family, not just a family who is adopted from the child welfare system or adopted through the state. I think, again, that's very um, uh, inclusive, and I'm excited that our state is realizing that oftentimes adoptive families do have different issues. So, um, you know, I think uh, and hope that they will be looking at post-adoption services and how we can build on what we already have in place. And then I think the other area that we often talk about, those of us who work in this field, like Leanne and I do day in and day out, are um, how do we grow um, training for adoption competency with mental health professionals, with um, churches, with faith-based communities. And the Villages is privileged to have uh, received a grant from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption, which is really probably known as the leading uh, corporation out there that promotes adoption. And um, so we're providing um, uh, cohorts of training. We just finished the cohort, um, the initial cohort um, in Indiana, so that we can build um, a group of professionals in every uh, region of our state um, who are really in tune to the unique issues that, you know, adoption can bring. So uh, in addition to that pre-adoption process, I think um, the journey of adoption um, is something uh, that I hope that the committee will address as well, that it is a lifelong commitment and that oftentimes we need to be partners in that process to assure that that adoption um, is sustained. Sharon, you mentioned some of these post-adoption services. Do you see anything in other states you think Indiana would benefit from adopting? Well, I, I think one of the things that we are um, hesitant to invest lots of resources in in Indiana is uh, what's called respite care, you know, providing adoptive parents, particularly of special needs children or children with very high behavioral issues um, that provide a lot of intensity of supervision, um, just a weekend away, you know, so that they can kind of take a breath and uh, um, refuel their batteries. And and so I think that that's something that 
I would hope that we would uh, talk a little bit more about so that we, in addition to providing counseling and therapeutic services, we'd acknowledge that all families need a support system around them um, and that I always say being the parent of four children is the hardest job on my resume (laughs) and the most important, too. So, you know, I think um, that's one example of, uh, you know, a post-adoption service that I think is really critical, uh, particularly for those families who have adopted special needs children. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Leanne, you had actually mentioned earlier that you and your husband are thinking about adopting, right? Correct. So what are some things that you guys would like to see here? And you mentioned that you actually are looking at adopting in Ohio. Right. It's definitely a consideration for us. Um, We are still considering adopting a child from Indiana, but we do have concerns because these children come from such hard places. They've experienced um, trauma. They've experienced loss. And um, especially with a sibling group, knowing that we're able to meet those children's needs, we would not we would feel irresponsible if we took on um, parenting children that we thought we were not able to meet all of their needs. And so that's definitely something when we've been doing our research, considering which states would provide us with the best post-adoption services or that could, that could help us, that could support us. Mm-hmm. So, so what are the post-adoption services in Ohio that, that, that Ohio has that Indiana doesn't have at this point? N- namely the adoption subsidy. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, in your experience, again, in your experience and your research, um, sounds like you, you're even considering adopting a sibling group. Correct. That sounds like a lot of work. Um, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, when you're talking with other couples and when you're thinking about it, you and your husband are thinking about it, I mean, that is such a large commitment. I mean, how do you prepare yourself for, for really going into something like that? I think that education is just so important. You cannot learn enough. And we tell our families who are waiting, um, you know, maybe they want to be decorating rooms. We just never stop consuming information, attend conferences, read books, watch movies, talk to families who have adopted, talk to mental health professionals, have a support system in place so that when these children are in your home, you're not, once you run into a problem, thinking, now what? What do we do? Where do we go? Know what your support systems are and what services are available to you so that you're not floundering. Mm-hmm. And Sharon, what kind of support services do, uh, you know, do you offer? Um, all of those. Uh, mm-hmm. We certainly try to. And I think um, Leanne and her husband are approaching this in the way that we would encourage uh, any family or any single. And, cer- and certainly that's something we haven't touched on, but there are a lot of uh, single adults who are wonderful, wonderful families for children who do not have that family in any other way. So, but um, I, I think, um, as Leanne has said, uh, doing all you can in an, an active learning process before that adoption is facilitated. Staying connected either with a support group, um, you know, or um, the social worker that's been involved in your uh, adoption as you uh, embark on that journey. And then really being very aware before you might hit a crisis point of what the uh, post-adoption resources are. Um, that that are available for children, um, uh, you know, post-adoption so that your family can get what they need. And I think Leanne's example is, is one of the reasons that I'm so excited about, you know, opening this conversation again about reinstating the adoption subsidy in Indiana because here's a wonderful couple um, who would be phenomenal parents for a group of children in Indiana 
and those children won't have that privilege. And so, um, you know, I always look at kind of that end <laughs> outcome and uh, think that um, it would be wonderful for children in Indiana who are waiting for a forever family uh, if we could reinstate the adoption subsidy as a complement to this tax credit. And I think, again, that will up the dialogue. It will keep us very in tune, but it's a very real and concrete um, uh, demonstration of partnership on the state of Indiana's part with a family like Leanne's who's considering, you know, making that forever commitment to a child or a sibling group. If you've uh, just joined us or if you've been with us for the whole time, you, you would know that we're talking about uh, adoption um, based on primarily the $1,000 tax credit to parents that the state legislature passed in a bill this year. But the issue is much broader than that, and we've already, I think, proven that in our first half of the program. So if you have any questions or if you have any comments about uh, issues involving adoption, we hope that you'll join us for the second half of the program. You can get on the phone now and call us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also ask your questions if you don't want to get on the air by joining our live chat wfiu.org slash noon edition or you can tweet us at noon edition we'll be right back this is noon edition on wfiu Production support comes from Smithville Communications. More information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with my co-host today, Kat Carlton from WFIU. We are talking about adoption in Indiana, and the Indiana State Legislature has passed a bill that uh, will offer a $1,000 tax credit to parents. We're also talking about the committee that came in that bill that's going to look at a whole lot of other adoption issues. And we hope you will join us on the uh, second half of the program. Uh, if you give us a call, you will be talking to uh, both Kat and I, but you'll also be talking to Sharon Pierce, who is the CEO of Villages Adoption Agency, and also Leanne Steffes, who's an attorney at MLJ Adoptions in Carmel. So please uh, give us a call at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348, or join the live chat, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. A lot of ways to get a hold of us. Always takes me a long time to get through all that. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've been talking about you know a lot of a lot of different issues you know involved with adoption. I, I know one area I wanted to 
to talk a little bit more about if uh, I could. I wanted to ask Leanne about international adoption. You said your your agency you do you do a lot of international adoption. Correct. And so how how different is that? It seems like it would be incredibly different from a domestic adoption. Oh, it's very different. Um, I think one of the largest things is that there are multiple types of law that you're dealing with. Um, there's state law, there's federal law, international law, the, the laws of the sending country. There's lots of entities involved. It's a very intricate dance, um, very complex. Um, so with the tax credit, sorry if I can jump in, um, how much of a difference would that make in an international adoption? Well, we tell our families every, every dollar counts especially our families that are fundraising. I mean, you have to start somewhere. And I think that any financial break that we can give these families is worthwhile. And that's why we're really excited about this adoption tax credit, because it's not just for families who have adopted domestically. It also is for families who have adopted internationally, so long as they qualify for the federal adoption tax credit. Is there a, a do you find a difference in the parents? You know, do parents come to you and say, we really want to adopt from this particular country or that particular country? Yes, we do, actually. Some um, families are drawn to different areas. Maybe they've done mission work there. Or maybe um, culturally um, we have programs in Latin America. Maybe they're from Puerto Rico or they're from Mexico, and they, and they like to adopt a child from that area. Or maybe they're just drawn because of a need. Um, Africa, um, there's just such an orphan crisis in Africa, and, and families want to help. Mm-hmm. In terms of how long the adoptions take, I know the process can be complicated, Um are there any countries that are especially uh, adept at making the, that adoption process easier? What have you found? There are some countries who are um, part of the Hague Convention on Adoption. And we find that countries that are Hague countries, they're generally more stable. They have more of an investment in their adoption process. They're far less reactionary to maybe a media article because with the internet, the world is just so much smaller. I mean, these officials in countries, they're reading families' blogs. They're on Facebook. They're on the adoption agency's websites. They're monitoring the activity, what is happening with adoption in the state, how children who have been adopted from their country, how they're faring, if there are any... um, Issues of, you know, I, Russia comes to mind. There were a lot of highly publicized stories about children who had been adopted from Russia who died in the United States. And and so that can really lead to a breakdown of foreign relations. And so um, a hate country, for example, Bulgaria, um, they have a, the process is pretty much kind of set in stone. It's very predictable. It's very stable. It's not quick. You're not going to find quick international adoption. That's, that's just the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask uh, Sharon about – I think you mentioned that there were 1,200 um, kids waiting for adoption in Indiana. Is that correct? That's correct. At, okay. at different points within the juvenile court uh, process. So, uh, and, and one of the things that I, I think both Leanne and I are alluding to but we probably haven't said is how important it is to get your support system excited about adoption in your own family, um, you know, your extended family, neighbors, um, as as our organization does home studies with families, that's one of the things that we really emphasize and share with them some questions that they can share to make sure that there um, is going to be that shared commitment and shared understanding that um, 
just like parenting any child, um, you know, there there are difficult days, um, and we all want to know that we've got somebody there with us, you know, supporting us. So um, whether we're adopting an international child or a child from, you know, Indiana's child welfare system or another state, I think it's um, that the adoption process is much more stable and, and much more likely to be sustained when we've all got a support system around us. I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the things that you tell people to get their support systems excited about the process? Well, you know, we provide a lot of case stories, you know, about adoptive families, um, you know, getting them involved, uh, getting extended family members involved in some of the research that we're doing, um, inviting them. I think a lot of potential adoptive parents invite their own parents or a sibling that they feel is going to be of special support to them or a special partner to them in this uh, effort uh, to go with them to some of the adoption information evenings that Leanne and I have, have touched on. And so, just engaging them in the process um, gets them excited about, you know, just like we all get excited when uh, we find out a friend of ours is uh, expecting and, and kind of travel that journey with them. I think um, it's equally important that you do that um, when you're uh, adopting. Yeah, and I'm, al- I'm also curious. We're, we're curious people here. That's why we do this show. <laughs> That's I'm cur- great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about uh, the 1,200 uh, kids in Indiana's system right now are, you know, what, what would be the age range? And are they all in some sort of foster care now? And then to follow up on that, uh, since Leanne does a lot with international adoption, I mean, you know, how many kids are we talking about that are – or like in, in the system. So well, on any given day, there are about twelve thousand children <clears throat> in Indiana who are in out of home care, uh, and um, on average, about fifty to sixty percent of those children will be reunified with their own family. Um, but there are certainly those children who aren't able to be reunified, and. Um, So uh, what research shows us is that um, the average age of a child being adopted uh, in the United States, and this holds true in Indiana, is around nine years of age. Um, But if children aren't adopted by the time they're nine, they are much less likely to be adopted. And that's just heart-wrenching for those of us who know these children and know their faces, because we all know that the data is so clear um, and, and just the compassion is so clear that children glow, grow and flourish best in a family. So um, I know one of the things that I hope um, the committee created by uh, House and World Act 1222 will look at is, are there things we can do to make this process a little bit faster? Because child time is very different than adult time. And uh, so that would be one of the great ways we could help impact that number of children waiting, in addition to what Leanne has has described personally, the fact that there might not be the supportive resources available once, you know, we've adopted a child in Indiana because that subsidy isn't there, um, it, it, that makes, um, you know, those children a little bit more at risk of being adopted as well compared to a child in another state where that subsidy is in place. Does that answer your question, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as far as the international scene, Leanne, so there are you know thousands of kids, I assume millions, millions of kids, millions. Yeah, 
Okay, I wanted to to invite our listeners again to if you've uh, adopted a child or think about thinking about adopting a child, please give us a call and tell us your story or ask your question. We're at eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight outside of the local calling area. And you can get in touch with us from anywhere by going to the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition or by tweeting us at noon edition. Great. So, uh, oh, sorry, Sharon, were you about to say something? Yeah, I was going to share, um, you know, Illinois several years ago had a wonderful model called One Church, One Child. And the focus of that initiative was that if every church in the state of Illinois supported a family in adopting one child, there wouldn't be children waiting for adoptive families. And um, it was in place for a while here in in Indiana, but I think as funding got cut, um, it just kind of dissipated. But I love that concept. And the point I was going to make was we understand that not everybody feels they're in a position to adopt a child or a sibling group. But I bet all of us can do something to support someone who's willing to adopt a child or a sibling group. So I was just going to give a shout-out to all of our listeners that, you know, if you are considering adoption, you know, people like Leanne and I would be thrilled about that. But there's also a role for each of us to play in supporting someone who's considering that. So, um, you know, there's so much that each of us can do to invest not just in Indiana's children, but our children throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And we had just been talking about um, age and how that affects adoption rates. Now, if uh, what what do you do to help clear up any misconceptions, or what misconceptions do people have about adopting older children? Well, I think particularly uh, there's a sense that an older child's uh, behavior issues, if they have struggled, and you can imagine that a child who's been abused or neglected repeatedly instead of nurtured by the parent or the caregiver that was entrusted to love them has a difficult time trusting authority, trusting adults. And so, um, you know, that's therapeutically one of the big responsibilities of agencies like the villages who work with children in foster care and then move them to adoption. One of the things that our agency does uh, is invest you know, many, many hours in what's the right match for a foster parent for a child who's been abused or neglected, so that indeed if that child becomes free for adoption, the family um, will be much more likely to adopt that child. And in the last three years, we've facilitated over 300 adoptions by villages foster parents. So that's a stability that I think helps um, those adoptive families then have a better chance at success as well as that child. Um, so that's one example of, you know, the things we can do um, in front of the adoption process, make sure that that child is in the right type of foster care setting, a setting that feels a lot, you know, ethnically, spiritually, geographically like their own family so that they aren't, there's some continuity there despite being separated from their family. Mm-hmm. It looks like we have a caller, Roy from Stanford. Roy? Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, Roy, Roy. I'm, I'm here. Okay. Yeah, we're here. Okay. I have a question for you concerning uh, there used to be a law on the books that we kind of offhandedly called grandparents' rights. Uh, basically, if I could throw a scenario out, um, Let's say if I had a grandchild that was taken away from the biological mother due to, I don't know, let's just say the court 
deemed her to be an unfit parent, for example. Um, and then the child ends up in foster care. Now, I, as a grandparent, uh, what if I'm, if I'm denied foster care visitations through that family, the, the new home that the child is put into, do I not have certain grandparents' rights to be able to be a part of that child's life and visitation? And, I mean, what are the current laws on the books about that? Let's see, Leanne, is that a part of the law that you're working in? Um, I don't know too much about grandparents' rights as they connect to foster care. I do know that um, in Indiana, grandparents have a pretty high burden to meet to exercise visitation rights, but that generally relates back to what the mother and the father, if they're willing to grant those rights. So I really cannot speak so much if the child is in foster care. Maybe um, Sharon can weigh in on that. Well, I, you I know, guess what, what, what I'm basically, um, what I'm trying to get to the meat of the situation here, is it lawful for a foster care parent to deny a biological grandparent visitation? A foster parent could not deny that. The juvenile court could deny that. Or a biological parent um, could um, indicate that there there are reasons, you know, why they might not want their own parent uh, to visit. But I think as a state and as a nation, we have moved um, miles on that argument. Indiana has about 60,000 grandparents right now who are raising their grandchildren. So there's really um, a very strong understanding that grandparents are a wonderful resource for children who can't be safely raised in their own home. And, and very honestly, that is the first line of defense that Department of Child Services as our state child welfare agency is looking at, um, you know, today uh, in terms of a child who's been abused and neglected. Is there a grandparent or a relative who can safely nurture this child while we work with the parent to get them to a point where they can once again parent their child? Um, but but I we work with hundreds of foster families each year, and we have never had a situation where the foster parent themselves has denied visitation. Um, that is really dictated by the juvenile court, who has the legal jurisdiction over a well, child who's been removed from their home. It does it does occur, and it does happen. There there are situations, and I'm familiar uh, with foster care parents actually denying a biological grandparent visitations because they don't think that the child should have any involvement with the family that was related to the mother that mm-hmm. was deemed uh, unfit by the court. I, I understand that. I mean, is there some kind of a legal, uh, I mean, does the grandparent have any kind of ramifications as far as, well, does, do the foster parents have a right to deny visitation? Uh, Roy, I think I'm not sure we're going to be able to answer all your questions today because you know we're mainly talking about adoption and adoption placement, and uh, you know the lawyer right, we have. But if if they're adopted and put into a place where the adoptive parents don't want them to, they basically want to sever all ties. Mm-hmm. Is that legal? Well. That's that's for the courts to decide, and right. and we're we're just not going to be able to answer that because we've got people from adoption agencies here, and 
you know, we're we're not we don't have the the legal um, firepower really to answer your question. So sorry, I said. The one like suggestion I could yeah. make, Bob, is that um, Roy contact the DCS Ombudsman's office. Um, they are the entity that, by statute, is charged with looking at policy issues, and they can del- you know designate is that a policy or is that simply a practice, and what is our recourse as a grandparent. Right. Okay, great. Okay. That, that, well, that's a good answer. That, that, that helps me. Good. All right. Thanks, Roy. I appreciate that very much. Okay. Thanks for Have calling, Roy. Day. You too. All right. Our phone number is again 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We have about 10 minutes to go in the program. I wanted to ask sort of a general question about trends. I mean, are you seeing more parents that are interested in adoption? Are we seeing more kids that need to be adopted? Is the gap between parent number of parents and the number of kids growing? Sort of what's the landscape look like? I think there's a gap in the children that are legally available for adoption as to the child that parents are wanting to adopt. The real need is older children, children with special needs, and oftentimes parents are seeking infants as young as possible, children as young as possible, who may be um, their healthy infants. And so I do think that there's a gap in that, and, you know, there's more and more orphans every day. And every child deserves a family. So um, I think that the education is, is out there. It's getting out there. And people are, are becoming more open to adopting children who are older and children with needs. And there, there is interest growing in that area. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I think another trend that we see is the interest on the part of single parents, you know, um, which is very positive because that opens up a whole new cadre of individuals. Um, the, the challenge then is what's the support system, you know, for that single parent, particularly if, as, as Leanne has explained, um, they're going to commit to a child with special needs or an older child that really needs that um, day-to-day supervision. Um, and, and again, I think that's um, a, a positive of Governor Pence and his staff helping to, you know, stimulate the conversation around adoption because we all know that children flourish best in a family. And so how we problem solve and kind of peel back layer by layer, what are the barriers to preventing children in our state from being adopted, um, that will just make a more positive impact on those children and hopefully reduce the number of children that are waiting for a family. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like we have another caller, an adoptive parent, Don from Trafalgar. Uh, Don, you with us? Yes, I am. Hey, go right ahead. Okay. Uh, my my wife and I adopted a son who is now 25 years old, and I just want to say that it is the single largest blessing in our lives that we were able to have this child, raise him. And uh, one of the things I would like to address is there seems to be a penchant among adoptive parents not to tell their children that they're adopted or to put it off for a long time. And I, I feel that this has a tendency that because, I mean, your family knows, all your friends know, people talk, and sooner or later, 
he'll find out, or she. And I feel that this ends up making the child feel betrayed, lied to, misled, and sometimes it causes them to act out in negative ways. But uh, my wife and I let my child know he was adopted. I mean, literally, when he was a baby in arms, we referred to him as, you're my little adopted baby. When he got a little older, we got several children's books aimed at adopted children, explaining adoption and everything. And when he was old enough, we explained to him how his mother felt that she was unable to take care of him properly and give him the life he deserved. So she trusted us enough to raise him as our child. And it was a private adoption. Set. It wasn't set up through an agency or anything. And uh, he grew up to be the finest young man. He has a wonderful job. Uh, unfortunately, he has no interest in getting married, so we don't have any grandchildren, uh, which is something we are looking forward to. And I'm really happy to see that uh, Governor Pence is making this uh, thrust towards making adoption easier in Indiana and trying to give breaks to adoptive parents because, I mean, that was like when we adopted my son, my wife and I had to use up all of our vacation time back to back at our jobs because there was no such thing as a maternity leave if you adopted or anything like that. And uh, I'm, I'm just really happy to see this move that he's making to do this. And, and again, I, I just want to say if you're out there and you want to adopt, don't hesitate because there's a baby or babies out there with your name on them. Well, thanks so much for calling in, Don. Sure. You, you've made our day. I'm grinning from <laughs> ear to ear. <laughs> and and I think um, that's another trend that we are actually seeing, Don, is a much more open attitude towards adoption and the understanding that this is just one way of many ways that families come together. And when we're honest about that and open about it, um, uh, you know, everyone then embraces that this is, uh, you know, a, a family that just has come together in a very unique way. Yeah, I thought Don brought up some really interesting points, and I did want to hear what both of you thought about about that. Leah? I do agree that you should be open and honest from from the get-go, and being open about your child's adoption and very honest about his or her story from the start is very important. So mm-hmm. I I commend him on his openness. Mm-hmm. So we've only got about two or three minutes to go in the program. There are so many uh, you know, issues involving adoption. I, I want to go back to, to Leanne because you're in the process of thinking about this. I mean, what are, the, what are some of the you – know, what's your motivation? What is your, your motivation for wanting to adopt, and what are your fears? I think, as I said, every child deserves a family. And the thought that there could be a child out there who wants a forever family, who needs a forever family, and doesn't have one, it just breaks my heart. 
and it, it and I you know you want of course I want to be a parent um, and at the same time I'd like to help a child if I can and that's not my primary motivation I don't think anyone should adopt with the intention of saving a child um, but but that is why we're pursuing it specifically older child adoption a child who otherwise may not have a chance at children who age out of foster care um, the statistics are pretty grim homelessness maybe they, they don't ever receive a high school education and fears certainly we have some when you adopt a child especially an older child and um, there's a history they're not born the minute they enter your home there's a past and um, those children have special needs and they may require um, a little bit more work than a, a, your typical child. So so I think that we do have some concerns, but we feel that we have the education in place and the support services in place, and so um, we're feeling pretty confident. Mm-hmm. Good. Good for you. Okay, Sharon, 30, 30 seconds. Any last uh, comments or words? You know, just my last thought that um, not everyone feels they can adopt, but all of us can support a family like Leanne's or Don's who are considering adopting. And that will mean that that safety net is much stronger around that family and, most importantly, around that child. All right. That was Sharon Pierce, from uh, who's the CEO of the Village's Adoption Agency. Sharon, thanks for being with us today. Thank you all so much, and, and thanks to our callers. It was fun to hear from folks. All right. Now, I also want to thank Leanne Steffes, an attorney with MLJ adoptions in Carmel. Thanks for coming to Bloomington. Thank you for having me. All right. And also for Claire McInerney, our producer, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Kat Carlton. Kat's been fun. It's been great, Bob. Thanks for being here. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. You can find podcasts of this and other WFIU programs at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu.